All right, everybody, welcome to Studio B. I am your host, Pastor MDH. Thank you for joining us here on the set again. Right now, stop wherever you're watching us from. If you're on Facebook, stop, like, follow, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, there's a little bell to the right of the uh, subscribe. Make sure you click that so that you'll be notified every time we go live, every time another episode is dropped. And remember, wherever you are watching us from, listening from uh, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, wherever it may be, you can find Studio B wherever you can access every other podcast from. Today, 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 on the set, in the house, I have a very special guest by the name of Mr. Jeff Campbell. Uh, we affectionately know him as Deke uh, here at the Church of Bethel's family, but he is Mr. Jeff Campbell. Uh, Mr. Jeff, how you doing today, sir? Doing good, sir. Doing, doing good. good? Yes, Life's treating you good? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Man, I'm looking forward to this conversation, brother. Um, I will tell you that I've admired you from afar. Awesome. Um, uh, I see the way that you hold yourself, man, and I've been very impressed over the years. And, Doc, I just appreciate the way that I see from an external point of how you're taking care of your business. So I'm excited about this podcast today. So Mr. Jeff uh, served in the Navy That's for right. 24 years. That's right. Navy Reserves. Navy Reserve for yeah. 24 years. Yes. And you just recently celebrated 34 years of marriage. Absolutely. Yesterday, as a matter of fact. Mom, you want to give a shout out to her? Don't, don't get yourself in Love trouble. Love you, baby. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> you got one son named Jamar, who's also in the Navy. That's correct. He's a recruiter. He's a recruiter in the Navy, and you have also three grandkids. Absolutely. Um, I call them little girl, baby girl, and little Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> How you enjoying that, that granddad life, man? It's beautiful, man. It really is, because I get to love them and then send them back and home to mom and dad. All this lady, man, grand, grandparents are in a good position, Absolutely. man, because it's the reset button for yes, them. Yes, So they get to do everything that they didn't do with their kids. They get to do them with the grandkids. Pump them up with sugar, send them back home, <laughs> and and enjoy life, man. That's Absolutely. a wonderful thing. You're also an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your business. Well, I am an independent auto appraiser slash adjuster, and I've been doing that off and on now for maybe two or three years. Uh, actually, I'm semi-retired. I uh, worked for State Farm for 29 years as an adjuster slash appraiser, and uh, just decided to take a leap of faith, man, mm. and um, stepped out, and uh, God has been blessing ever since. So you were with State Farm, uh, State Farm for how long? 29 years. Wow. And uh, just turned in my resignation one day, and uh, the rest is history. So you know the importance and the value of insurance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so you know the importance, the value Absolutely. of insurance. That's yes. a whole nother conversation yes. that yes. we definitely need to get into. Um, but but Jeff, I wanna um, I wanted to talk to you today, man, because you know we're coming off of this series where I had uh, four African American women here who were highly successful in their fields of endeavor, um, and now I'm in the month of June. I'm having. Uh, for African-American men. And the whole topic of this thing is normalizing success and specifically success around the African-American community. Uh, something that is dear and dear and dear and dear to my heart is destroying this narrative of black America mm -hmm. um, that has been portrayed by the media. Mm -hmm. um, the media is not doing us any favors, uh, in my humble opinion. I get into a lot of trouble uh, when I go into diatribes like this, so I'll try to be careful. But I don't believe that the media does the... Um, 
um, the existence, the culture of black America any justice by the stereotypical um, pictures and and how they portray us as a community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to fight desperately against that because uh, black America is uh, smart. We are um, uh, we're, we're educated. We're entrepreneurs. We are highly valuable. We stand on the shoulders of giants as we look at our ancestors mm-hmm. before us and the great injustices that they had to overcome in order for us to be sitting here at this table. Right. Um, we owe a debt to all of those who have come before us. And I often say, and will continue to say, that if you just leave black America alone, if you just let us do what we're capable of doing, mm-hmm. what God has placed on the inside, side of us, we will thrive. Absolutely. But we have far too long been the guinea pigs of too many government programs, and those programs have now become crutches within our community, and I believe it is disabling us from within. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring you on the show along with others so that we can destroy this narrative that black America, anytime that success happens, uh, we got to cheerlead, we got to high five, we got to do all of this and do all of that. Mm When success for us is normal, right? Uh, in other communities, Asian communities, the Indian community, uh, when someone graduates from college, graduates from graduate school, that's expected. Mm-hmm. It's part of the culture. Correct. It, it's you know, success is a part of their culture. So I wanted to bring on some people that who are highly successful in their own fields of endeavor to talk about their stories, mm-hmm. what it took to get there, and to help other people understand that success is just kind of what we do. <coughs> so with that kind of said, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff. Well, I was born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, Memphis. Uh, yes, Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, I am the youngest of four children. I have three older sisters. And, uh, so you're the baby boy. Yes, sir. Oh, Absolutely. my goodness. Absolutely. My sisters say I was poor, but I, I, I beg to differ. Uh, but I grew up in a home where uh, my dad drank a lot and um, fought a lot. Mm. And so uh, coming up, you know, that's what I saw. So I really didn't have what's considered a godly father figure. Um, everything that I've pretty much learned about relationships, how to date, how to treat women, uh, how to be a father, uh, I pretty much learned uh, from what I saw. Um, and, you know, as I got a little bit older in life, learned by the grace of God. Uh, so I left Memphis uh, January 1st, New Year's Day of uh, 1986 with mm. $50 in my pocket and uh, transitioned to Houston, Texas. Now, what brought you to Houston, though? Why, why leave Memphis to Houston? <laughs> That's a whole nother conversation, oh, brother. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> well, All we right. can go there if you want to, though. <laughs> I want to hear the, the, the deep down well, dirt and gritty. Well, uh, had I stayed in Memphis, and this is the honest to God truth, uh, I'd either be dead or in jail. Mm. Because uh, I was what the world considered a, a womanizer, mm. and I was heavily into drugs. Mm. And so I knew between those two, I was going to find myself either dead or in jail. Yeah. So I had a, a homeboy, if you will, who was already down here came back home for the holidays and uh, said, hey, man, I'm getting ready to go back. If you want to roll with me. And uh, I sold my 76 O's 98 with two inch crackers <laughs> on it for uh, $500. And here's the trip part. Uh, I blew 450 on uh, drugs and alcohol before I even left Memphis. Mm. So I came to Houston down 59 with $50 in my pocket. Wow. But by the grace of God, it wasn't until I got here uh, that God opened my eyes and revealed who his son Jesus was and Man, I tell you, the best thing that could have happened to me. So you left Memphis, Tennessee, <coughs> January the 1st. What year? 1986. 1986, and you came down to Houston, Texas. Yes, sir. The big city of Houston with $50 in your pocket. $50. 
So what does life look like when you get to Houston? Oh, wow. Back then, mm-hmm. uh, I was impressed of how flat it was, uh, but also I was impressed of all the different opportunities. Uh, just, you know, a plethora of ethnicities, uh, something that I wasn't accustomed to back in Memphis because mm. it was either black yeah. or white. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. either barbecue or neck bones. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Rich. Poor, yeah, yeah, all right, exactly. but Mercedes exactly. or Hoopty, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no in-betweens. Absolutely. So you get down here to Houston, man, and as you get down here, let me let me ask you this. As you as you are leaving Memphis, you talked about it a little bit, um, but I want you to kind of hone in on that, man, because I, I often say it's a colloquialism, I get mm-hmm. it, but you see the glory, but you don't know the story, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. people, people who look at us, they admire the stuff that we are doing now, but don't understand the struggle that it took in order to get to the places that we're at. So you talked about that you were heavily into drugs mm-hmm. and that you were a womanizer. Now, what was that path leading you down? Like, you saw that with your dad. Was that something that you emulated because of something that you saw? Yes. I saw that with my dad. I uh, saw it with my cousins. Uh, and that's pretty much all I saw in Memphis. Uh, even though I was, quote, unquote, raised in the church, yeah. um, I still didn't see any godly men that I could uh, imitate, yeah. if you will. And so uh, coming here, uh, it was just like a light switch. It was actually coming here that uh, a coworker of mine, when I first got hired on at State Farm, uh, befriended me and uh, led me to the Lord. Mm. And uh, like I said, the rest is history from there. So when you're looking at your life right now, Jeff, you are, how old are you right now? 58. You're 58 years old. Um, it would be fair to say the lights is at its peaks and its valleys. Absolutely. Right? It's, Absolutely. it's ups and its downs, yes. the highs and the lows. Yes. Uh, you've done the Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley <laughs> of the shadow of death. You, Absolutely. Uh, you've been in the valley many a times. Yes. So, but what were some of the earliest visions that you had of your life? Like, what did you see yourself doing early on in life? Well, to be perfectly honest, my, my desire and dream was to do 20 years in the Air Force and retire at 38. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I could not pass uh, the ASVAB test for the Air Force. So I ended up joining the Navy Reserves. And the reason I joined the Navy Reserves was because I had a full-time job back in Memphis working for the Social Security Administration. Mm. And so they had a stay-in-school program whereby, okay, if you stay in school, you can keep your job and we'll allow you to go to the Reserves. And so uh, they allowed me to do that. Uh, but that was my desire was to do 20 years in the Air Force and retire at 38. So that's the ultimate vision of, that you had of your life now. As you look at your dad, as you look at your mom, you got your three sisters around you. Like, what were they doing? I, I know what your dad was doing, mm-hmm. but what type, of, what type of models did you see in your sisters and in your mom? Like, what was driving you to go to the Air Force? Why the Air Force? Of all the things that you could have done, why the Air Force? That's a good question. Uh, the reason I wanted to go through the Air Force, because one of my, well, my youngest twin sister was dating a young man uh, who was in the Air Force. And uh, I just looked up to him, even though, you know, he was, you know, out in the world doing his thing. Uh, I still admired him. And so uh, just like the way the uniform looked on him and everything, yeah. and it was clean cut. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, my mom always kept me sharp. So, you know, that just kind of been passed down to me. Uh, but that's just one of the things that, things that impressed me and uh, just had a desire to join the Air Force. Uh, but looking back on it, uh, I'm glad it didn't happen that way because being in the Navy uh, has allowed me to journey to some places I would have never been to had I not been in, you know, the Navy Reserves. So when you're looking at your life coming up in Memphis, 
Uh, I got a lot of friends that are from Memphis, so mm. I've never been to Memphis personally, but I got a lot of friends that are from Memphis. We got a, a dear uh, member here that mm-hmm. is a part of the, mm-hmm. that Memphis. Absolutely. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. Uh, so Absolutely. I've heard a lot about Memphis, um, but I also know that Memphis has some struggles. Like yes. every uh, every city, no matter where you go, no matter where it may be, has some particular struggles, mm-hmm. uh, some more than, than others. Mm-hmm. But what are some of those early challenges in your life that you faced um, that kind of defined who you are? Like, what what's the lowest point of your life, and what did that do to get you where you are right now? I think the lowest point of my life was, uh, believe it or not, I can still remember the sanitation strike in Memphis Wow! when Dr. King came. <clears throat> I think I may have been five or six years old, believe it or not. No, you remember that. I still remember that. Uh, And there were fires everywhere. And um, I saw how the National Guards came in and had to keep order. And it didn't matter whether you were black or white. Uh, They took out the batons and kept order. And But even after that passed over, it was still a struggle just growing up in Memphis because you had drugs everywhere. Mm. Uh, And so I knew that this is not the lifestyle that I wanted to continue on. Uh, and so I uh, just had to make a decision one day when the opportunity presented itself to get out of there as quick as I could. So Memphis um, Memphis has quite a history. It does. Quite, it does. quite, 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 quite history. Yeah. Um, the good and the bad and the in-between. Absolutely. So you remember uh, the sanitation strike in Memphis mm-hmm. at five, six years old, yeah. around about then, that time. What else is going on in Memphis uh, around that time that that you can recall? Um, Obviously, there's still widespread racism. Um, Now, did you personally experience that as as in in Memphis? To be perfectly honest with you, no, I have not. And, And I can honestly say, even to this day, and it's only by the grace of God, that I've I've never personally experienced any form of racism. Now, 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 hold on. Hold on. Personally. Hold on. Because now you know you're going to get some flack for that. I know I am. Um, because I, uh, Jeff, have the exact same testimony. Mm. Uh, in 48 years of living, I cannot recall times where I have had someone of a different ethnicity mm-hmm hold me back because of my color, Mm. because of my religious beliefs, because of where I live, because Mm -hmm. of the X, Y, and Z. Um, I don't have any personal stories, personal stories within my framework, my framework of racism and how racism held me back. Now, that does not mean that we don't acknowledge and fully understand that racism exists, and that it was prevalent, and that it is prevalent, right. but there's no personal experience that I personally, Marcus D. Holman, can account to. Now, that's not saying my mom, mm-hmm. that's not saying my grandmother, that's not saying any other people that I know, mm-hmm. but for me personally, and you coming up in Memphis, of course, you're right there in the thick of it. Right. So you've never personally experienced that. Now, did you see any of that in your offsprings, in your mom, in your dad? Did you see any of that going on around you? I did see it coming up. Um, In fact, there was a family trip that we were taking down to Leland, Mississippi, to visit some other relatives. Wow, so you go from the front (laughs) to the fight. (laughs) Absolutely. And so uh, it was late at night, and so we were pulled over by the highway patrol, who obviously were white, 
And, uh, you know, back then, I, I don't know if, my, you know, my uncle was speeding or what have you. But uh, anyway, we got pulled over, and I literally saw them beat him with a baton. Mm. Uh, not to the point of death, but still, you know, did some damage. Uh, that was about the only form that I've actually saw, uh, if you would use the word personal, that was that close to me. So as you're looking at the, the landscape of what's going on right now, we, 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 we're in a very, very difficult position. Um, I think a lot of this stuff, man, is um, let me let, let me say this from a thirty thousand foot view before we get into the weeds. <laughs> um, we're in America. Mm-hmm. Um, you have been blessed enough by joining the Navy Reserves to travel to different places, to see different cultures, to see different people, to see many different walks of life. Mm-hmm. Would it be fair to say that that has enhanced your life? by you traveling to different places and seeing different things. Would that be a fair assessment? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're living in America, uh, the United States of America, that has a very checkered past. Mm-hmm. Um, America and the original, I hate to use that word that is so prevalent right now, it's a catchphrase, uh, the original sin of America is slavery. Um, but America has a very, very checkered past. Um, and America has some things in which it needs to write uh, to acknowledge and and get past, even in 2021. But we're in a place right now to where I don't even think our ancestors have been. Mm. To where when I'm looking at my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, those who experience racism to the hilt, uh, KKK burning crosses in the yard, lynching. Uh, my grandmother actually told me of a time that she saw somebody hanging from a tree. Mm. Uh, so those those days, my grandmother was alive at the time of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. She she remembers that. She remembers white water fountain, black water fountain. She remembers going to the back of the restaurant to get the food. And even though my mom, my grandmother was a waitress, mm-hmm. um, even when she was serving her own family, she couldn't give them food out of the front door. She, they would steal, even though she worked in the restaurant, mm-hmm. would have to get the food from the back. Mm-hmm. So I hear those stories because mm-hmm. uh, I sit down at the feet of the old school and, and I listen to them and I glean from them. But I think even right now we're in a position to where they have never been in, where they experience, Jeff, the real racism with yes. real consequences. Right. Um, the fire hoses, the German shepherds, right. all of those things that they had to experience uh, when trying to go and register for vote. Tell me how many jelly beans are in this right. jar. Right. Uh, tell me the judges and the names of their kids of every judge in the county, right? That kind of racism is what they experience. The kind of racism that we're talking about right now in 2021 is not like that. Right. Um, And this is where I I push back against culture, against the narrative, against the media, um, against what we are being propagated to, because I believe what what is happening is they want to fan the fire, Mm -hmm. fan the flames. So as you were coming up in Memphis, Tennessee, you're seeing all of this stuff. This is the heartbeat of where uh, well, many would say uh, would say the heartbeat and the birthplace of civil rights mm-hmm. um, with the sanitation strike, Martin Luther King. Um, as you are seeing this in your own life right now at 58 years old, how do you bridge then to now? Do you see similarities? Do you see um, the same oppression, the same um, vitriol, the same hatred um, that existed back in the days of Memphis, five years old, sanitation strikes and the like? Do you see correlations right now in 2021 as you did way back then? I can see some similarities. Excuse me. And I will say this, though. Uh, 
progress has been made. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God for that. Uh, because, what, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, it was, it was uncommon to see uh, a black man and a white woman together or yeah. vice versa. Uh, but you see that now, and, you know, it's not a big deal. Uh, but as far as it still being the same in terms of somewhat uh, trying to oppress, you see it now from a corporate standpoint, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the CEO or the HR department has the decision or the power, if you would, to keep you down based on the color of your skin if they so choose to. But one of the things that I've learned, and I've learned this even since being here in Houston, that nothing can keep me down if I make my mind up that I'm going to succeed and that I'm going to be a success. And so uh, that's the progress that I think we've made. And I think that as a nation and as individuals, if that's something that we can just purpose in our hearts and minds, that I'm going to succeed, I will succeed, and I am a success, then it doesn't matter who has the authority or who has the power. Uh, you can be as successful as you choose to be. And so, and so who's in the—and who, and, and I would ask you this, not from a rhetorical standpoint, but from a real question. Uh, who's in the driver's seat of that success? Uh, who ultimately decides how far I go? I do. You do. I do. Um, and, and in that, as we acknowledge, um, it, it would be remiss for us to sit here at this table at Studio B and say that racism, um, prejudices, biases mm-hmm. do not exist mm-hmm. uh, in the commonplace, the workplace, in the church place, or whatever place. Right. It's everywhere. Right. Um, my admonition, though, uh, Jeff, is, you know, racism is, is, has been here since the beginning of time. The Bible talks about racism. Uh, the Bible talks about classism mm-hmm. and all the isms that we are dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can find that in the word of God. So racism and all of the isms of the world is nothing new. Right. Um, we understand it from a black perspective of how they um, have intentionally targeted us as a people group, unlike any other people group that have ever walked through America. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that that's a conversation that we need to have that we need to train up our children to understand about. But my question is, if if ultimately, as we're looking at success, and ultimately that's what everybody wants is some form of success. Now, we got to define it according to the person. The ultimate person that sits in the driver's seat of that success is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my great, I, I hate to call him a mentor because I've never met him, but I draw from this well of wisdom a lot, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. got a Ph.D. at the age of 26 in a segregated South. Mm. Um, in a, he was the president of his all-white class. Mm. He graduated at the top of an all-white class at Pennsylvania. Mm. Uh, not, you know, not down here at TSU or anything. He was the president of an all-white class. Mm. And so when I look at people like that, when I look at Malcolm X, when I look at Medgar Evers, when I look at these people that have faced insurmountable odds against them, mm-hmm. um, and the forces were not like they are right now, covert. Right. right. They were overt. Right. Uh, this is how it's going to be. I'm letting you know it. Right. And you got to deal with it. Right. Now, the racism that we're talking about right now, the corporate structures, the HR, the hiring process, those are more covert than they are overt. Mm -hmm. But it's still there. Exactly. But ultimately, the person that defines whether or not how high they go is the person looking back at you in the mirror. Exactly. So as you look at the challenges in your own life and what you've had to overcome, what made you not succumb to those deep issues and those deep hurts in your own life? 
What challenged you to continue to move on in your own life? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Actually, it wasn't until I uh, moved here to Houston, to be honest with you. Uh, because growing up, you know, I always had uh, an inferiority complex. Uh, didn't think I was good enough. Uh, now, where did that come from? That's a good question. Um, I, I really can't say. I, I'm assuming it's probably because of my environment. Uh, because even the guys that I grew up with and, and hung out with pretty much felt the same way. But even moving here, uh, I still had that mindset. And it wasn't until I just started to self-develop, if you will, by reading different books, mm. Think and Grow Rich, mm. uh, uh, Ask and You Shall Receive. Mm. And so when I've got to the point, and let me just digress a little bit. I even had a brother tell me, and he looked me dead in the eye and said, you need to have your own business. Mm. And that was never a dream or a desire of mine. Um, in fact, it was something I ran away from. But it wasn't until I started developing this yeah. that then the concept came to me, yes, I can be and do whatever it is that I want. But it wasn't until I started reading some of the uh, things in Think and Grow Rich, and uh, it was written by Napoleon Hill, and he said, whatever the mind of man can conceive and bring itself to believe, he can achieve, it can achieve. And so uh, I would just go back to that over and over again and uh, just made up my mind that I'm going to take a step of faith as it relates to this entrepreneur thing. And uh, I did that. And like I said, the rest is history. Now, you are a, um, obviously a black man. Yes. Um, <laughs> fully black. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, make no mistake about it. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> living in um, America mm -hmm. that started a business, took a leap of faith, mm -hmm. Um, trusted God, trusted what God was doing in your life, and you took a leap of faith and started your own business. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Jeff, if I can just, uh, just for a moment before I get back to this, uh, um, <clears throat> in Isaiah 53, Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Mm -hmm. um, I often go back to that scripture a lot because Isaiah is in a place to where he's talking to the children of Israel and he is trying to tell the children of Israel about the wonderful plans that God has for them mm -hmm. and how God wants to prosper them, how God wants to bring them out of bondage and how God wants to open doors. And uh, so he's preaching this message and preaching this message and preaching this message that where you are, you don't have to stay. Mm -hmm. That's that's the gist of, yes. Of, yes. Of, of Isaiah's message to the children of Israel. Yes. But the children of Israel, the Bible says that they're getting dull of hearing. Mm. They're not hearing it. Um, so the places that they are, are, that they're in, they are not only getting comfortable there as opposed to having tents, mm. they're building houses mm. in the valley. Mm. Now, you're only supposed to live in a tent in the valley because you're not going to be there long. Exactly. But they're building houses in the valley. So mm. they're getting used to the valley. And Isaiah is saying, man, you don't have to be here. God has a, a wonderful plan for you. And then Isaiah gets to the point to where, I, and I just go back in my mind's eye, he's saying, Lord, mm. who believes this stuff? Wow. Who believes that you can do better? Who believes that you have a wonderful plan for them? Who believes this stuff? It's like I'm talking to a brick wall. Yeah. And I can just see this in my mind's eyes. He's talking back to God back and forth. Mm -hmm. And God says this to him. He says, preach until they can't hear you no more. Mm. He says, keep preaching. Yeah. Because by keep <clears throat> preaching, what you're doing is increasing their accountability. Yes. 
I say that and refer back to that scripture a lot in what I do, um, not just in my pastoral life, but even right now with what God is doing through Studio B. I believe that the way to help people is to empower them, not to constantly cripple them, Mm -hmm. as opposed to giving them a crutch to lean on. Give them a step to get out. Right. Right. I understand that life is hard, Jeff. Right. Right. Life is it's going to be unfair. Life is going to deal you a hand that you're going to have to play. Right. It may be racism. It may be classism. It may be economics. It may be education. Your daddy may not been there. You might not have been born into the right family. Mm -hmm. There's all of these different things that may plague you in life. Right. But you don't have to die there. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't have to die in the valley, Jeff. Absolutely. You no matter you don't no matter where you are, mm-hmm. you can get up there. And my constant encouragement to Black America is, yes, yeah. things have been rough for us. Yes, man, we didn't start off so well in sixteen nineteen Plymouth Rock. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we were treated harshly. We were treated unfairly. Yes, the deck was stacked against us. Yes. Yeah. Our ancestors, our great-grandfathers, great-grandmothers had to go through hell on earth, Mm -hmm. slavery, rape, all that stuff that they had to go through. But they persevered in order that the door may be kicked open Mm -hmm. for us. Absolutely. And with that, Jeff Campbell, we, this generation, Mm -hmm. has to do something with that sacrifice. Mm. We have to do something with that sacrifice, Jeff. We can't continue to go around and beat the same drum that life is hard. Right. It is. Absolutely. But now what? Now it's up to us. It's up to like what you said earlier, that person that's looking at himself in the mirror. That's where the decision lies. And yes, we can preach till we're black and blue in the face. We can preach until they're dull of hearing. But ultimately, the decision lies within that particular individual. So how does that person who has, um, when you're looking at the things that you've gone through, What's some of those life lessons that you pull from? uh, Because I believe that anybody can shout on the mountaintops. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that growth happens at the peak. Mm -hmm. I believe growth happens in the valley, right? Right. Because anybody can shout when you got a lot of money in the bank. Right. Right. Anybody can shout when all the bills are paid, mama acting right, the kids acting right. Right. You know, everybody's good. Mm -hmm. Everybody can shout in God. But I don't believe that that's where life's valuable lessons are learned. As you're going through and looking at the valleys in your life and you're tracing back how God brought you through, What's some of those life lessons that you're pulling from the valley? Well, the main thing is, regardless, and you alluded to it previously, regardless of my environment, uh, regardless of how I was raised, regardless of what mama and dad of them did, I don't have to let my past define me. I don't have to let my failures define me. Uh, I can get up, strap my boots up, and make a difference in my life personally so that I can ultimately make a difference in somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I, I saw something this morning on social media. Uh, it, it, it gave the acronyms for fail. First attempt in learning. Mm. So even though I fail, yeah. that does not define who I am. That's a good I word. am not a failure just that's because I failed once. That's a good word. And so that's what you have to do. You have to continue to persevere. You have to continue to press on. But I agree, it is incumbent upon us who have gained, quote unquote, success to come alongside and to mentor and uh, encourage those who are along the same path that we're on. So with people like yourself, Jeff, um, people that I know within my circle, the reason why we're putting uh, people like yourself here on the podcast is to spotlight 
um, people that um, are not void of problems, are not void of issues, are not void of struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that our life is the yellow brick road and that we skip along, you know, singing Kumbaya every day. Mm-hmm. Um, every day we are faced with the same challenges that everybody else is. I believe what makes a person successful is what they do with the challenges that they're faced with. Mm-hmm. Okay, I believe that's what makes success. Mm. Success is not necessarily having a million dollars in the bank. Right. It's not living in River Oaks or all these other things, driving the nicest car and all that other good stuff. Right. Success is a lot of times what you do with the opportunities that are presented with you. Absolutely. Um, you know, Martin Luther King said, going back to that sanitation strike, he said, um, whatever God has called you to be, if he's called you to be a trash sweeper, uh, sweep that trash so well so that the angels in heaven would mm. look down on that street and wonder who cleaned those streets. Wow. Right. So he's saying be a success. Success is not the CEO on the 50th floor. It's not the, the guy driving the Bentley. It's, it's not the people that you see on TV mm-hmm. winning all of these awards. Success is defined by the number of obstacles that you yourself overcome. Absolutely. Right. And so as we continue to try to push this narrative and, and Jeff, brother, I believe that they're they are intentionally and I, and I say they um, not being able to put my finger on a particular person mm-hmm. or a particular group. Mm-hmm. But I believe that there is a narrative out there specifically aimed against the African-American community. Mm-hmm. Uh, African-Americans for our inception in this nation have been the guinea pigs of many different programs. Mm-hmm. Right. They've bounced stuff off of us. Right. 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 But we are the key. Correct. We are the key. We own our own destiny. Mm-hmm. We own our own destiny. And for me, as I sit back and I look at people like you, I look at people like that God has placed in my life, past August and the such, and I see people that have overcome um, uh, tremendous challenges mm-hmm. and have gone on to take care of their families. They are re- they they're loving their wives. They're loving their kids. They're they're productive members of society. Mm-hmm. Right. But they've overcome challenges upon challenges upon challenges. And I believe by us overcoming that, we honor the legacy of our great our great grandfathers, great grandmothers. Absolutely. So I'm not saying and we're not saying at least and I don't want to speak for you, but I'm not saying that the the, that the struggle in life is not going to be difficult. Right. Uh, Jeff, I'm not saying that in 2021, you're not going to encounter a racist. I'm not saying that you're going. You're not going to encounter somebody who doesn't like you Absolutely. for no reason right. other than they don't like you. Right, Jeff. I'm not saying that you may go and fill out an application and maybe somebody on the other side of that desk that doesn't like you and does not want to uh, hire you. Mm-hmm. That just may happen. Yeah. But if that's where the road leads you, find a way around that. Absolutely. Somebody came to you and said, "Man, you need to start a business." Yeah. A black man in America. Yes. Said you need to start a business. And Jeff Campbell, even though that was not part of your overall vision, Mm -hmm. as God began to work in and through your life, helped you to start a business. Absolutely. You are a success story. Absolutely. You are a success story, Jeff. So how in in this current age right now, as you're seeing everything that's going on in our landscape, as you're seeing everything political, racial, socioeconomic, injustice over here, all the stuff, Mm -hmm. it's the perfect storm right now. Mm Mm-hmm. How are you feeling in this moment right now as an African-American man? Wow, that's a good question. Um, My heart breaks over a lot of it. But at the same time, and this may sound kind of strange, I don't get caught up in a lot of it. This Mm -hmm. is just me personally. This is just me personally. I don't get caught up in a lot of it. And here's the reason why. is because I know 
who's in control, mm. ultimately. And that keeps me sane and it keeps me level. Now, my wife, she will go ballistic. In fact, there are some shows that she don't even you yeah. know, watch just because it just upsets her too much. But uh, I have learned that no matter what has happened, no matter what will happen, God is in total control. That's a good word. Now, th- now there are some who are proponents of that, that viewpoint mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because they'll tell you that uh, the slave master used God um, and the Bible and, and religion mm-hmm. uh, to further keep you in chains. Yeah. And so that is just a continuation of a slave mindset mm-hmm. um, by those who are over us to keep us in check. Mm-hmm. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that? Well, yes, ultimately God is. But at the same time, as I alluded to earlier, it's still incumbent upon the person who's mm-hmm. looking at himself in the mirror to make the decision. You don't have to stay where you're at. And just because you failed, again, that does not define who you are. You know, there there was a saying uh, coming up in Memphis and even here in Houston, uh, you know, and I I hope you'll allow me to say this. Go go ahead, man. The white man did this to Mm -hmm. me. The white man did that to me. Mm -hmm. Well, no, that's a cop out. Mm -hmm. Now, I get that and I understand where that comes from, but that's not the gospel. Mm -hmm. You know, only you can limit yourself. And, and I'm a firm believer that it starts here. As a man thinketh. So is he. In his heart, so he is. Mm. I'm a firm believer in that. Now, I want to explore that just a little bit more. Um, because in the culture that we're in right now, of course, you see within the last two years, um, especially COVID-19 kind of was the cherry on top of all the stuff that we've had to go through. Mm-hmm. 2019, 2020 were years unlike any in our history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had to deal with a lot uh, here in America and around the world. Um, so we were we were kind of taking it from all sides. Right. Yeah. Um, there is a mantra out there that is even still prevalent um, that you just said that the white man did it, the white man this, the white man that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a very conscious movement mm-hmm. uh, to place the ills and the lack of success of black America on the backs of white men. Right. Uh, black America cannot succeed, um, and I hate to use this term. I don't hate to use this term, but this is the term, uh, especially you know March, uh, May twenty fifth of two thousand and twenty. Um, but because they have their knee on our neck, mm-hmm. we cannot breathe right. um, because the, the white man constantly has their knee on our neck. Uh, black America right now, uh, Jeff, makes up about fourteen percent of the U.S. population. Mm. Um, we are the only ethnicity that has flatlined. Mm the only ethnicity that is flatlined. Um, in 20 years, we will be the super minority as Hispanics mm. will leapfrog us within the next 10 to 15 years. Mm. So by 2041, uh, black American the projections are that we will be right at around 14.9%, while Hispanics will jump up to a whopping 18 to 20% wow. in the next 20 years. Um, because Hispanics are having babies, they're coming over, the things are just happening. Mm-hmm. So the black American, the, the black man right now, which is already a minority, mm-hmm. will be a further minority mm-hmm. in the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. White America makes up about 73% of our population, mm-hmm. right, of our general populace. So we're looking at about 355 million people in America, give or take a couple million, mm-hmm. depending on what, what um, um, source you look at. So in the next 20 years, 
Um, this idea of America, of black people being a minority, is going to be further solidified because we will absolutely, mm. and the only exception to that will be the American Indian. Mm. That that will be the only exception to that. And Asians. So Asians are right at around 3%, 4%. They're not going to catch up to us in the next 20 years. But the major populace of being white America, Hispanic America, and black America, black America will be last mm. in the next 20 years. Wow. So this idea that the white man is holding us down, which was a prevalent and very true statement mm -hmm. that we can put our hands on. Absolutely. That white men and women in places of authority with volition and with forethought said, hell no. Yeah. That's not happening. Right. We're now in a time right now, Jeff, where to the system in my mind is crumbling on itself. Mm. While the system is still there mm -hmm. and it is operating effectively in many different areas, like the prison system, um, the system is still operating very, very well in it. Right. Uh, the judicial system. But the system is crumbling within itself because there are too many different minorities and people groups that are entering places of power. Mm. Okay. We had a African-American man serve as a two-term president. The United States Congress is the most diverse Congress that it has ever been in its 172-year history. And I'm not just talking about from ethnicities. I'm talking about from uh, the gender makeup, from male to women. I'm talking about the religious makeup, from Muslim to Christian to, to Buddhist. The, the Congress right now is the most diverse that it has ever been. Mm. In the United States of America, we have 156 African-Americans who are mayors of cities in America. Right here in Houston, Texas, yeah. we have a two-term mayor. Right. Uh, before him, we had a gay mayor. Yeah. Um, I believe that the system is crumbling within itself because there are minority groups and people groups that are entering places of power that can now start to affect the change that trickles all the way down. We just elected a first... Uh, black female president, mm -hmm. I mean uh, vice president. Um, the third person in line for the president is a woman. Yeah. So the system right now is is crippling itself from within. Now I understand, Jeff, that there are people that are scared of that happening, right? Right. And that they will do anything to help the foundation stand, right? But what we have to do in order to tackle this problem is first of all, address it, and then, as you said, the person looking in the mirror says to himself or to herself, today, this is what I'm going to do. Yes. I know that this Tuesday, I'm going to face challenges. Yes. I'm going to face some people that don't necessarily like me, don't necessarily care for me, mm -hmm. and will do things to get me off of my beaten path. Right. Right? Right. I wake up knowing that. Right. In knowing that, Jeff, I now got to put some action behind it. Absolutely. So as you're looking at what's going on right now, give me some specific ways that you see that the opportunities of 2021, respectfully in our year right now, or just this, this time period in general, is better for the black man, the black woman, than it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. Well, I mean, we have all kinds of opportunities now. <clears throat> There's no, and especially if you look at it in this day and age right now, there's absolutely no reason why anyone shouldn't be working mm -hmm. with the plethora of uh, opportunities for employment. Uh, I believe the same relates to education. There are all types of programs that are in place 
for a young man or a young lady to go back to school and get a degree, or to go to school and get a degree, if you will. Um, there is no excuse for us not uh, being successful or starting our own businesses. I've been seeing quite a bit on the internet lately where people have quit their jobs and have started six-figure businesses mm -hmm. or have uh, uh, accumulated six-figure income. But here's one of the problems that I see. We're our biggest enemy mm. because we're taking each other out. Wow, no. And, and I know that may be a whole other conversation right there. No, but, go there. But, but, but that's where we need to focus on as well. Yes, like you stated earlier, there have been uh, systems in place in the past that have been designed to keep us down. We acknowledge that. We're not blind to that. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge the fact that we mm. are keeping one another down. Young men killing young men. Mm. Uh, just, you know, all of the envy and the strife. You know, no, I can't get ahead, so no, I'm not going to allow you yeah. to get ahead. Yeah. You know, so I believe that that's where it needs to start just as well. Now, Jeff, let's, let, let's, let's open that door um, because this is, this is, this is a, a platform to where we can speak freely. Um, it, it was, um, it was, uh, God, I, I, I can't remember his name. Um, but he said, if you're not offending people when you speak, then you obviously are not saying anything worthy mm. of listening to. Mm. I've heard that before. So in order to make change, you got to offend people. Absolutely. Okay, move people out of their comfort zones. That's a conversation that we just don't want to have. Yeah. We don't want to have the self-reflective conversation about what we are bringing to a situation. Yeah. We don't want to have that conversation. We, and, and you know, you're a Bible man just like I am. We love the Word of God. We trust the Word of God. Now, you know that all started back in Genesis chapter number three in the right. blame game. Right, right. Adam, where are you? Well, it's her fault. Yeah, yeah. Eve, why'd you do that? It's the devil's fault. Right. Nobody said, it's me. Right. I did it. Right. So that blame game started all the way back in Genesis three and it's all the way up here into 2021. Mm -hmm. And I believe that it's easier to do that. Yes. Right. Because yes. by blaming somebody else, uh, else, what I do is take myself off the hook. Absolutely. OK. I, I loose myself from the strings of accountability. But that is an important conversation to have, Jeff. It's, it's, and, and one thing that we have to be able to look at in our culture mm -hmm. is you know, I'm a history guy. You know, Ecclesiastes chapter number three. There's nothing new under the sun. Absolutely. What has happened has already happened. Yes. There is nothing new that is happening. Yeah. So what is God telling us in Ecclesiastes chapter number three? If you want to know what's going to happen in the future, look at what happened in the past. Mm -hmm. And so it's always good to do look backs. And as you look at our history, our history was formed in the early days, even in the dramatic times of us coming here, was formed by community. Mm community yes where you know go ask uh, uh miss martha for that right, you know right. uh, mama was gonna be working late so she would call her neighbor to say hey go put on a pot of food right. i'm gonna be home a little bit see we were defined by community right now the enemy understands the power of community Jeff. yes yes he does and so what's one of his things that he does he breaks up community absolutely because by breaking up community he breaks up the success model yes as african-americans we had community. Yes. Community like this. Yes. One of the things that you see on the landscape right now, Jeff, is black America is eating itself. Yes, absolutely. That's what Malcolm X said. He said, we don't have to worry about the whites. Yeah. He said, just leave the black man to himself and the black man will eat himself alive. That's Malcolm X said that. Yes. 
Right? The black man is eating himself alive. Absolutely. Because we are our own worst enemy. Absolutely. If I see Jeff Campbell getting a new car and I can't afford a new car, then my intentions is to hate on Jeff Campbell for his new car, not congratulate him for his new car. Absolutely. And as a matter of fact, it's been said, and I don't know who, who, who said this, but it's been said, if you want to keep something from a black man, put it in a book. Put it in a book. Put it in a book. Now, that's a sad commentary. It is. It it's is. It's a sad commentary. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, when we have these kind of conversations as black men, um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, when I've had conversations so low here and I bring up this kind of stuff uh, because I don't buy into the narrative, because I want to look behind the story, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to do my own investigative work, mm-hmm. uh, because I want to put the time in to make sure that I'm educated about whatever you know, whatever stance that I may take. Mm-hmm. I got to make sure that whatever stance that is, that I've researched it, that I'm well familiar with it, and that I'm willing to die on that stance, Mm. right? So before I come out here, and and I do this, Jeff, because one, I'm a pastor, and I know that my words carry weight. Mm -hmm. And so before I go out there and say this, that, and the other, I got to make sure that I'm well acquainted with what I believe. Right. Okay, with what I personally believe. I believe that black America, if left to itself, to rise, to thrive, to do well in life can happen if we first understand what's happening. Hmm. If we first understand what's happening. The Bible is replete of this. This is not some esoteric diatribe that I'm going off on. The Bible is complete. It's replete Hmm. of what God does through minority people groups. As a black culture, we have always been spiritual people. Yes. Always. 16, 19, and above. What you're seeing right now in the last 25, 30 years is a mass exodus from black folks Mm. from the things of God. Mm. A mass exodus. Well, you said earlier in the podcast that you were raised in church. We all were. Yeah. Even though we got out there and did our own thing, Jeff, Mm -hmm. we had that voice in the back of our head. Right. Sunday school, BTU, getting up, staying at church all day, knowing, knowing what we should. Now, we might not have done it. Right. But we knew it. Yeah. Now what you see, Jeff, is mm. black America is abandoning yes. the things of God. Yes. They don't want anything to do with it. And that is God saying, and God is too much of a gentleman to force himself on us. Yeah. He says, if that's what you want, yes. have at it. Yep. Have at it. Yeah. One of the things that got us through the civil rights movement is because God used a Baptist minister. Mm. who believed in the things of God. Yes, he was for social justice. Yes, he was for equality of all people. Yes, he reached across the political lines, but he read his Bible. Yes. And he believed that God was using him to bridge the gap. Yeah. Now where's that voice? Mm. And as black America turns on itself, the music that we're listening to, we, we we can't honor our women because our women are constantly being degraded in these songs. Yes. And you know what's behind that artist who's in the studio calling that black sister a B and a H is a white um, mm, a wow. white owner wow. at Capitol Records. Wow. We are eating ourselves alive. Yes. And yet we say the reason why I can't is because of this. So I'm hoping, Jeff, um, as you're looking in, at, at your own life, as you're looking at what God has done in these 58 years of your life, through the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, 
what drives you or motivates you to this day to continue to keep striving? I've got a generation behind me. Um, and I don't say that loosely. Um, as I mentioned to you earlier, I've got three grandkids. I even have a son. And um, I constantly encourage him to get up and do the right thing. Yes, he's uh, serving in the, you know, the military, uh, serving our country. But I'm constantly trying to encourage him in the things of the Lord. Get these girls to Jesus. Hmm. Get these girls to church. Do you know where you're going? Yeah. What is your relationship like? Uh, so those are the things that really motivate me um, to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and also just to uh, be able to, uh, hopefully within a couple of years, just be able to be in a position, not just uh, financially, uh, but just to be in a position mentally uh, to where I can see the fruits of my labor. And I think I'm on the track to doing that. And, man, I want to congratulate you, man, because, um, you know, as I said at the beginning, man, I, I've admired you from afar. And one of the things that is very dear to me is um, I had a conversation with um, we do a uh, weekly ministers call um, every Thursday. And uh, on this ministers call, we were talking about it was last week, last Thursday. And we were talking about Father's Day that just came and passed mm -hmm. this uh, last weekend. Um, and I said that uh, one of the most detrimental things that uh, that we are facing right now um, is fatherlessness, mm -hmm. um, is the absence of the male in the home and in the lives of his children. Um, Mark says in Mark chapter 3, verse 27, that no one can come in and plunder a man's house until he first binds the strong man. Yes. If he can bind the strong man, then he can go in and plunder his house for right. all his goods. Right. The enemy understands that. Yeah. The enemy understands the importance of having a strong man in place. And so the things that you see happening on our landscape today, Jeff, is meant to take out the strong man. Yes. Um, this age of feminism, this age of LGBT, this age of gender dysphoria, this age of um, uh, reckoning yourself to whatever gender you may see, all of that are tactics of the enemy to take down the strong man yes. because he understands if I can get the strong man out the way, mm -hmm. his house is easy prey. Absolutely. His house is easy prey. Yeah. He understands that. He understands that from a military perspective. He understands that from a spiritual perspective. He understands that from society. And so as we are trying to take this banner of Jesus and trying to empower young men and women to not live their best life now, yeah. not that foolishness, yeah but trying to live the life that God has called for them to live. And by preaching that message, living the life that affirms that message, mm. living the life that affirms the message that we're preaching, that we're not out here dying on the vine. Yeah. And Jeff, I, I, I want to, I want to go down. I want to go down in the books. And when I get to glory, I, I want to hear, uh, I want to be able to say this to God and mean it from the depths of my being. God, I tried. Mm. God, I tried. Amen. Uh, I tried. And I want to be able to say that, and I want God to be able, I want. I can see this happening in my mind's eye. I don't get it right all the time, brother. Right, right. Um, but I want to go down on this mountain that I've tried. I tried to, if 99 people were going right, I wanted to be the one person going yeah, left. absolutely. I didn't want to follow the crowd. Yeah. 
right? And I want to empower this generation, as you said, that are following us to say, man, listen, this is the best time for you to be alive. Absolutely. Right now? Absolutely. This is the best time for you to be alive, for you to get an education, for you to start a business, for you to do better financially, for you to set up generational wealth. Jeff, this is the best time to be alive. It is. Right now. Yeah. Get away from all of this stuff, man. Get your mind on what you need to get your mind on and move forward. So, brother, I want to say that, you know, as I look at you, as I look at these men that God has placed in my life that are in my circle, um, one of the things that drives me is seeing men take care of their business. Mm -hmm. Men that don't bow down to the pressure, men that challenge the status quo, and men that will say, you know what, through hell or high water, I'm going to get this done. Absolutely. If I got to work four or five jobs, if I got to collect cans in order to make sure that this is done, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. Because that's the generation, that's the legacy of African Americans. Absolutely. That's our legacy, Jeff. Yeah. That is our legacy. And as I look at you as a successful black man, I want you to speak to, if you got somebody right now, and the great part about this this podcast, Jeff, was that we got everybody from A to Z. So from uh, the young teeny boppers all the way uh, to the person sitting on his rocking chair right now. Yeah. Uh, a, a wide audience. Uh, so from many different generations. Uh, if you were to speak something into somebody's life right now as a word of encouragement, Uh, What would that be? I would say, you know, regardless of where you are, uh, regardless of what your upbringing is, uh, regardless of where you've been, you don't have to stay there. You can do better. Uh, You can make a difference in somebody's life. However, the change has to start within. Get this renewed and the rest will follow. That's my encouragement. And Jeff, um, (laughs) I don't think you could have said it better. Uh, That is the Romans chapter 12 passage. Amen. Kind of flows off the tongue, but a very difficult process to put in place. Yes. Because we got so much junk that we have to get out of our minds and so much new stuff that we have to input. Um, Man, I want to encourage you, um, as I encourage myself and those who are watching Um, Life is going to present to us some challenges, brother. Yes, absolutely. I wish I could say that when we get saved, that God rolls out the red carpet of Mm. life and says, enjoy it. (laughs) Doesn't happen that way, brother. It doesn't happen that way. (laughs) Um, The great Michael Jordan, who was beloved in Chicago, statues of him outside of the stadium. Michael Jordan could do no wrong while he was playing in Chicago. Yeah. But the minute that he put on a Wizards jersey mm. and went back to Chicago, yeah. the same hallelujahs, the same everybody wearing 23 jerseys, screaming for Michael Jordan, now because he was playing against the home team, yeah. those same applause now turned into booze. And when we decide to do something worthwhile – It's going to bring with it challenges. Absolutely. Starting a business is no easy feat. Being different is no easy feat. Going back to school at an older age is no easy feat. Yes. Raising your family is no easy feat. Trying to live right in a wrong world is no easy feat. Yes. It's going to bring with it, Jeff, some challenges. But with those challenges, I believe that God equips us. Mm. Even if there's got to be some crying in the valley. Yeah. 
right? So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> come on now, because we come on now. Let's keep it real. Yeah. Even if there's got to be some crying in the valley, yeah. some scratching of the head in the valley, <laughs> like how did I get here in the right. moments kind of valley? Right. Even if those, right. those those times there, right? If if what the Bible says is true that He will never leave you nor forsake you with the challenges that come along with doing something great, God is right there. Yes, He is. Yes, He is. And brother, let me throw this in here right quick because this is on my heart. <clears throat> You know, even when I stepped out in faith and started my own business, um, there were times that I had to scratch my head and say, man, what in the world did I get myself into? But I can honestly say that God was faithful, is Mm -hmm. faithful, and we never missed a beat, man. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, my wife and I have more money in our bank account now Mm -hmm. than we did when I was working. Come on now. That's nobody but God. Brother. Come on now. And we haven't missed a beat. Come she's, on. She has not missed a, a Saturday going to the mall. Come on. She's not missed a Saturday going to the beauty salon. Uh, the, the mortgage still being paid. Come Food's on. still on the table. Come on. God's been faithful, man. Now, as you, um, <laughs> you know, the Bible says that my spirit will testify to your spirit that we are both sons of God. Yeah. Um, spirits testify to each other. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeff, I... I believe right now, because I have spiritual glasses on, um, I don't look at things, um, even to what you said and how you look at life, that you don't get consumed with it. Yeah. Because you ultimately know who is in control. Um, it's very difficult having conversations like this with people that don't have a uh, God view. Yeah. It's very, it's very difficult. Yeah, I understand. Uh, because we get caught in the weeds and the minutia of what's going on, and we're not able to see the bigger picture of what God is trying to get us to, 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 to focus on. Um, and as we try to, you know, take a step back and say, okay, this is what it is. This is the moment mm-hmm. right here. This mm-hmm. is the moment. This moment is bad. Mm-hmm. George Floyd, eight minutes and 26 seconds, that's bad. Yeah. Okay, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, the, the riots, the social unrest, political unrest, that's bad. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's bad. Let's acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that's really bad. That's the moment. Right. But if all we talk about is the moment, mm. we never see the big picture. Absolutely. And so we are 5, 10, 15, 20 years still talking about the moment. Yeah, yeah. See, one of the great things about our ancestors like Martin Luther King and those who were just purveyors. And, and Jeff, I, I think right now what we are missing is that voice. Mm. You know, you had Dr. King that would come on the, uh, on the TV and, and his speech and his words would just inspire you, even if you were in the valley, even yeah. after marching across the Pettit State Bridge yeah. and being beaten by the Alabama uh, State Troopers. Right. They still went home, hmm. girded themselves back up, right. and went out to march the next day. Absolutely. After getting beat. Hmm. Because he got up and said, listen, this is the moment. Can't die in the moment. Yeah. That's a good word. We can't die in the moment. And here we are. The problem with our generation and where we are currently in our culture is that we can't get past the moment. Mm. So 10, 15 years, 20 years, we still going to be talking about the moment. And nothing has happened. Yeah. The needle hasn't moved. Right. See, in the civil rights movement, when these brothers were, and these brothers and sisters, these freedom riders, uh, these people that were, they woke up every day and they had a cause in mind. Mm-hmm. They had a cause in mind. They had something greater than themselves that they were lending themselves to, Jeff, and they were even willing 
to lay down their life. Yeah. What did Martin Luther King say? I may not get there with you. Right, right. But he had something that he was willing to lay down his life for. And that's what woke him up in the morning, even at the risk of him coming home and not being able to see his kids anymore. That mm-hmm. infamous day that he preached that sermon mm-hmm. was the last day that he saw his wife and his kids. Yes. We're dying in the moment. Yeah. And what we have to be able to do is to acknowledge the pain in the moment. Let's 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 talk about that. Right. Let's not skate over that. Let's exactly. not push it to the background. Let's talk, let's deal with that. But after we deal with it, Jeff, after we deal with it, yeah. then what? Then what? Yeah. And that's the conversation that is constantly being pushed is the moment. What now? Yes. What now is not a bronze statue. Hmm. That's not a what now. Amen. That's a bronze statue. Yeah. That bronze statue ain't sending nobody to college. Yes. Absolutely. It's not getting that person that got 34 years for a minor weed offense in prison out. Mm. It's a bronze statue. It means nothing. Yeah. But because we want to memorialize the moment, we don't get into the meat and potatoes. So, man, I want to give you this last word um, because I believe that God is doing something in the midst of our right now. Mm -hmm. God is moving, you know, God plays chess. We play checkers. Yeah. You know, God be moving. Stuff, yes, absolutely. <laughs> like absolutely. God be positioning himself, man. And you got to you got to have a God view in order to see the moves that he's making. Right. But God is doing something right now in this current generation, in this current era that we're in right now. Spiritually, what do you see God doing right now in our world? Hmm. That's an awesome question, man. I believe God is saying, look. Enough of this foolishness. I'm coming back. Mm. And believe it or not, that's been resonating in my spirit lately. Mm. Uh, Jesus is coming back. And so I've purposed in my heart. And, you, and I don't know if you remember or not, but I came to you a couple of weeks ago about being for sure of what it is God's calling me to do. Mm-hmm. And man, you said something that was so profound and I don't even know if you remember what, what you said or not, but you said, Jeff, I know that God has already showed you what it is you need to be doing. And you're absolutely right. He had. <laughs> and so my responsibility is, is to evangelize as many people that God's allowed to cross my path. Yeah, there you go. And here's one of the tools that God has given me to do that. Because we think evangelism has to be standing on the big stage or standing out here in front of this pulpit. There's no greater time to share the gospel now than through social media. Mm. And so that's one of the things that God lays on my heart. But, but I believe that what God is showing us in this big picture is that, yes, you've been hearing about I'm coming back for over 2,000 years, but I'm coming back. Yeah. Because he promised it, and he's not a man that he should lie. Mm. And so God is coming back. And so as believers, as men of God, uh, we need to be sharing that same message. And it's a message of hope, not despair. Hmm. Um, man, that is an excellent way to uh, to end it, man, because, brother, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, those of us who love the word, those of us who believe that it's true, yeah. uh, we understand that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. Yeah. And my fear, Jeff, is because I see this mass exodus mm. 
of people not wanting to have anything to do with the church because we are preaching that message. And yes, we have to preach a message of social justice and equality for all and right. treating people with dignity and respect for all of those are principles of, of the word of God in which we all love. But if your soul is not saved, mm. if, if you don't know Christ, yes. then all you have is the platitudes of this world. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I'm just, I remember my grandmother, God bless her. I often, man, this woman was such a force in my life. Um, went on to be with the Lord now in December of 2018, but um, she didn't get out of high school. She was, um, she died at 85 years old. Mm. And she was the wisest person that I've ever come across. Um my grandmother knows struggle. Mm. She she knows it. And when I'm talking to my grandmother and she's telling me when I graduate and when I own my own home and I got a family, I got a wife and I got kids and I see the joy on my grandmother's face when she says I'm proud of you. Mm. Because she she sees her grandson. My, yeah. my, my grandmother never owned her own house. Mm. In 84 years, 85 years of living, she never owned her own home. But yet she's able to see her grandson yeah. own a home. Her grandsons, yeah. grandkids, her kids own homes. Her kids graduate college. Grandkids graduate college. She's able to see that. And so when, when I think about my ancestors and what they went to, went through, man, the stuff that I go through today mm. is challenging, yeah. yeah. Right. But, man, I owe a debt. Absolutely. And when my grandmother stood upon that word and said that God ain't going to never put more on you than what you're able to bear. Amen. It may be hard. Amen. And she used to always say, you may have to cry. <laughs> But don't cry too long. Amen. Man, I believe that um, people need to hear this message. They need to see that you may be in a place in your life that may not be a very pleasant place. Um, you know, we talked about drug use. We talked about women. That's my testimony, too. I, you know, I believe in taking the aha moments away from mm -hmm. people. I just mm -hmm. tell it all. Absolutely. The good, the bad. Right. And, <laughs> all in between. Um, but I think people need to hear that because there's somebody that says, oh, man, that's me. Yeah. And Jeff did it. Yeah. Jeff didn't die a drug addict. Mm. Praise the Lord. Jeff said, you know what? I'm going to do something different. Yeah. And, and, and look at Jeff. 24 years in the service, married 34 years, a son, three grandkids, an entrepreneur. Jeff made a conscious decision. Mm, that's it right there. To do something different. Now, Jeff already said it wasn't easy. Absolutely. But if Jeff could do it, then so can I. Absolutely. That's a good word. And so, man, I want to um, thank you for accepting the, the invitation, man, because, brother, I believe that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a preacher, so this is my last close, really. <laughs> this is my last close. Man, we had um, 35 men 
35 African-American men on yeah. Sunday yeah. that completed a 24-week course on biblical manhood. Mm. And we went through finances, through sex, through porn addiction. Yeah. We, we went through everything. Yeah. yeah, I know. I heard. And we had 35 African-American men that stood on stage that for, for 24 weeks, mm. every single Monday, for an hour and a half, two hours, came and broke bread over the word of God. CNN was nowhere to be found. Mm. Fox News was nowhere to be found. Yeah. Channel 13, Channel 11, Channel 26 was nowhere to be found because that does not fit the narrative. Right. But let any one of those black men had done something wrong, robbed a bank, mm -hmm. murdered somebody, it had been frontline news. Right. But the building up of black men to be better men, to be productive members of society, that's not news because it doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. People like Jeff, people like Marcus, we don't fit the narrative. Yeah. We don't fit the narrative. Now, if I had a podcast, Jeff, where I was cussing and fussing mm -hmm. and talking about people and doing all that other good stuff, um, we would be blowing up right now. Right now, we're a little over 6,000. We'd be over 600,000. Wow. But that doesn't fit the narrative. Yeah. But I'm conscious of this is what God has called for us to do. Amen. So, man, I want to say to you publicly, because <clears throat> I believe in giving people their roses while they live. Amen. Brother, you're doing a great job. The model that you are showing, not only for your wife and for your kids and your grandkids, but the model that you're showing people is a godly model. Praise the Lord. Being in that discipleship ministry yeah. and ministering to those people when they're in the crux of their life and being able to walk them through the valley <clears throat> is what God is using you for in this season. So me, to you, congratulations. Thank you, brother. You are the black man. Praise the Lord. You are the black man. And black man, black woman, um, take a key from Jeff, take a key from any of these guests that we've had on here. And just remember, man, if God be for you, is more than the entire world against you. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to Studio B. Uh, make sure you like, follow, subscribe, comment, share this video um, with all that you may um, come in contact with. And remember, wherever you are right now, if God be for you, it's more than the entire world against you. Be informed, be empowered. Studio B. See you next week.